We're going to be continuing <clears throat> this morning in 1 Peter, and we're going to be beginning, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 1. I have, I have been thoroughly enjoying um, going through 1 Peter, and I hope that you have as well as we're just finishing chapter 1 this mo- morning, moving into, into chapter 2. It's been such an encouragement to me. It has been working into building me up for, in the context of, of this particular book, encouragement and building me up for the potential hard times and tough times that we may face as Christians in an increasingly post-Christian society. However, 1 Peter and the Bible in general is building us up, right? It's building us up, preparing us not just for the bad times, but also good times by doing one thing, and that is showing us and leading us and consistently calling us and exhorting us to build our lives upon the rock, the foundation of Christ Jesus that is firmly found only in him. So this, so in these first 21 verses of chapter 1, we have been confronted with huge gospel truths, right? These massive things packed into a small book. And, and, and I'm not putting down 1 Peter whatsoever, but you know how you can read, there's some really awesome children's books now that uh, some really awesome Christian writers are writing, and they're filled with like amazing gospel deep theological truths in these really small books. And that's kind of what we have. We have like this small container of, of amazing truth in these first 21 verses of, about who God is, the character and nature of God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, salvation, the inheritance that we receive through Christ in his resurrection, an inheritance that is imperishable, our new birth and living hope, the strength that we, will fa- that we will gain in our face as we face various trials, the sovereignty of God over those things to build up our faith. We see salvation history being worked out by God and what the prophets longed for and what they prophesied it about and now fulfilled in Christ is what we as the church, we now enjoy. From last week, verses 13 through 21, we we begin to see some exhortations and some commands that are driven by grace, right? For you to fully set your hope upon God's grace. We hope in nothing else but God's grace. I hope you had time this week and circumstances this week where you were able to do that. Were you able to put your hope fully on God's grace? whether it be dealing with suffering or dealing with sin and temptation, whatever it may be. We're called to pursue holiness. And there's a lot there, but you can go back and listen to the message on our website. And lastly, a call to live in fear. That's another one that needs to be unpacked last week. You can go back and listen to that. This morning, we are going to finish chapter 1, and we're going to begin chapter 2. And this encouragement that moves from It moves now from a me into an I, where we're to take these gospel things and apply it to us, to to ourselves, to now it's shifting toward a we and an us, the church. The gospel doesn't just change the individual. It doesn't just change us only, the individual only, and stay there. 
Sound waves do not stay in one place. They move and they, and they echo. Well, so does the gospel amongst God's people to renew and to reform the individual Christian, but from the Christian, the individual Christian, it reverberates to each other. The gospel is always meant to be applied in the church to brothers and sisters in Christ. It reverberates in love. So how we speak to one another, how we care for one another, how we serve and give and help and pray. Oh my goodness, that's a big one. How we pray for one another, how we lead one another, how we submit to one another, how we bear with one another. I grew up with, with three brothers and one sister, so that's four boys and, and, and one girl, and I was smack dab in the middle of the, the whole crew, and that might explain uh, some things about me for you. So with all these boys in this particular home, and it, it didn't always look pretty. Some of y'all had brothers, and you understand it didn't always look pretty. And unfortunately, there were some pretty good fights and wrestling matches and nosebleeds and amongst other things. Um, and we begin, since we, we didn't have them, they weren't often, but they would happen every now and then. And so we begin to call them affectionately because, you know, my parents would come in and they'd be like, what are you doing? Stop this and that. Go outside if you're going to beat each other up. And we would say, no, no, no. It's just brotherly love is what we used to say. <laughs> it's, brother, it's brotherly love as I'm sitting there in, in, in the headlock because inevitably it was always me that was in the headlock or pinned on the ground or, or, or worse. And, and of course, what's funny about it is there's nothing brotherly nor loving, well, maybe sinfully brotherly, or loving about what I just described, right? It was often vicious and sinful, and it was regrettably filled with rage and anger and testosterone, right? <laughs> neither, neither should the brotherly love that should be characterized in the church. It shouldn't be defined in, in that way. Let's look to 1 Peter, and, and let's see what Peter says here about brotherly love, starting in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and to see his holy, inspired, inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. I hope you heard the call in that passage to love. The call to, 
to brotherly love and, and how we are to love one another. Now, if you've been around church culture or churches in general, then, then this isn't something new for you. It's certainly not something new for us as Sovereign Grace Church. We've talked about love and, and how to love and loving within when the church. So, so we often speak of it. But we don't often speak of it because us elders are sitting around in our meetings and we're just saying, you know, those people could be more loving toward one another. In fact, I, I can't remember the last time we, I don't think we ever said that. In fact, it's more of the exact opposite. We're often quite thankful and grateful for you all. And in our meetings, when we get together, we often address specifically the ways that we have seen and heard of how you have been loving and caring for one another. And it brings about great joy and gratefulness to, to us elders that we get to see this happen within God's church. And I hope that it is encouraging to you as well and that you, can, you have the eyes to see and recognize that and be truly grateful. So please don't think this sermon to be a drive-by guilting in order to manipulate you to love more. Now certainly we can admit, and I think all of us can admit, that there are more ways and areas that we could be more loving, more brotherly loving, including us elders. And as we grow together and as we mature, we want to grow and mature in love. But we trust in the Lord. The work of his Holy Spirit in each and every one of us who is in Christ, the work of the word of God will shape us. It will shape you. It will convict you in the areas of love. It'll, it'll shape you in the areas of love. He will gift you places and things where you need to love in specific ways and in areas where the church needs to be loved or a particular church member needs to be loved. Peter says, a sincere brotherly love. Love one another. This is the kind of love for one another that it only comes from the gospel. This is the only kind of love that comes from the gospel. This is not carnal civility. This is love that comes out of the gospel where you can bear with someone who has offended you and forgive them and love them. This love does not come from our hearts. It comes from Christ and the Holy Spirit that does a work in us to love one another. It, comes, it doesn't come from nowhere. Carnal civility will fracture and fall and break up, but gospel love does not. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another by this, verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love begins with Jesus in the Gospels. Loving us and us to love each other. This love, this commandment of love we see goes throughout the, the New Testament into Paul's writings. Romans 12, 10, 13, 8, Galatians 5, 13, Ephesians 4, 2, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, and 4, 9. 
The writer of Hebrews commands us to stir one another up in love. In Hebrews 10, 24, we see it in Peter, and we also see it in John's letters. We'll read a little bit of that at the end of our service today. Loving one another, brothers and sisters, isn't a new concept for us. But we have to ask the question, then why is genuine love like this, this gospel love, just seems so rare or maybe for us is hard just to do sometimes? You see, what our passage this morning is telling us is that in the same way in which Peter says, by the Holy Spirit, has exhorted you to trust in the Lord, to trust in his sovereign hand and salvation as you are exiles, to remember his promises, to set your hope fully on grace, to pursue holiness, and to live in fear. What drives those things is grace. He tells us, he says, yeah, the same goes for loving one another sincerely. You do it by God's grace from a pure heart. This morning, the overall idea, I believe, from these passages is to love one another with a sincere brotherly love. I think this is the basic application of the gospel, is to love one another. Isn't that what Jesus said? I have loved you, love one another. And so the basic outworking of the gospel then goes back to what I said earlier. It doesn't stop at us. It reverberates into others. It moves into others. So, so I'm going to give you two ways from the passage this morning to first love in truth, love in truth, and second, love in longing, love in longing. We have a lot to do. The first point is massive compared to the second point, but I think it's very important for us to take the time to unpack. The first way Peter tells us how we are to express love for one another a sincere brotherly love is to love in truth. This is the point that Peter is wanting to make here at the end of chapter 1. Back in verse 19, again, we are told that we have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was now made in the last times for the sake of you. So this is how Christ has loved us, how God has loved us. Now in verse 22, he says, having purified your souls. And how has he purified our souls? By the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot, nothing but the blood. Oh, precious, right, is the, is the blood. It purifies our soul, meaning we have been saved through Christ by his grace. This is regeneration. This is what he's summing up Back up there, the work of the gospel to regenerate the Christian. Continuing verse 22, by your obedience to truth. Now, what does it mean to what he says by obedience to truth? Because on a cursory reading, it would seem that the purification that takes place was through your obedience, meaning through your works of salvation. It means you had to do X, Y, Z, and W, and everything else to to save yourself, and then God would accept you. But that's not at all what he's talking about. Number one, it would completely contradict everything he was talking about. It would continue to contradict the rest of the, of the, the New Testament, including the rest of the, the passage in, in general. 
in other places in the New Testament used here, the word obedience is often used to refer to conversion. It's often used to refer to conversion, which this is the, the whole context of verse 23, right? Since you have been purified, since you have been, been purified. So in conversion, believers are called to do what? We are called to repent, we're called to believe, and we're called to confess Christ, and then we will be saved. Well, this is what he means by being obedient to the truth. You've all heard the truth, and you believed, and you confessed, and you repented. That's what he means by obedient to truth, which are all gifts of God. The obedient to truth is conversion. It's what we've done. It's what we did in response to the calling by the Holy Spirit to save us. So the obedient to truth conversion is for what though? It's for a sincere brotherly love. So our, the obedience, the purification of our souls, obedience to truth is for a sincere brotherly love. Listen, the goal and purpose of our conversion is a genuine love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Genuine sincere. This, this word here, brotherly love, that little, little phrase is that one Greek word, I think we're all very familiar, Philadelphian, meaning what? Brotherly love. We, we, we know it because of the city, Philadelphia. But this brotherly love is what? It's a love for one another earnestly. Different words being used here. Philadelphian love, brotherly love, and now we have another word for, for, for love, but in the verb form, agapacete, meaning to have a strong affection and desire for someone. So here we have brotherly love and a strong affection for someone. Back in John 13, 35, we just read it, that according to Jesus, he says, this is the way that the watching world is going to know if you are my disciples or not. So it's almost like the, the world is like a judge over us watching us to see if we're really in Christ or not by the way that we love one another. And the way that we love one another, as Jesus said, the standard is the way that he has loved us. You can't, you can't separate that. So love isn't just in the way that we want it to be. But it's in a way that Christ has loved us. Agapacete, a strong desire and affection. So define love then. Good luck. Tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of songs and poetry and stories. Movies have all been written and sung and acted out and recorded to do such a thing. Some are pretty good. But even though the world can experience love, it's still pretty confused. But the Bible has been very, very clear to where Christians should never be confused on what love is. Greater love has no one than this than someone who lays down his life for his friends. God is love. For God says, so loved the world that he sent his only son. So understanding this love, this, 
verb form, this agapacete, means that this love, I'm going to give you a definition, that this love is an appropriate treasuring or valuing of another that is rooted in and flows out of a true knowledge of who they are and results in a righteous action toward them. Let me say it again. Love is an appropriate treasuring or valuing of another that is rooted in and flows out of a true knowledge of who they are and results in a righteous action toward them. To love is to treasure. To love is to treasure or value. It's the inclination of the mind and the heart towards someone. Now, don't be confused. This is this is, don't be confused this with just emotions and feelings because love is not sentimental or sexual only. That's what love is defined now, which is not. Love is not merely these particular acts or sentimentality. You can fall in love, but just as fast as you fall in, you fall right out again. Love involves the whole person. Love involves the mind. Love involves the will. Love involves the affections, right? Those emotions of the heart. And in the definition, we said love is what? Appropriate, right? Love is appropriate to who they are, meaning we shouldn't love, meaning we should not, we don't love everyone in the same way. The love I have for God is ultimate. And what I treasure above all things, and no other love should ever compete. This is kind of the, our problem with that. We kind of turn love into a junk drawer word because we say we love God, and then we say I love Taco Bell. And they don't even compare. And you guys are like, I hate Taco Bell. Well, some people do. God is ultimate. My love for my wife is appropriate only for her as my wife. I love my children, and I, my love for my children is different from how I love others. Yet appropriately, I love everyone. I love every person, my neighbors and my enemies, as Jesus has called me to do. So to love sincerely we need to understand that all people have what? A dignity. Imago Dei, made in the image of God by virtue of being created in God's image. And remembering that we ourselves deserve nothing but God's anger in our sin, for our sin. This is the true foundation in how we will love others and how it will be appropriate and will lead to appropriate loving actions toward another, especially to our brothers and sisters in the church, because it's rooted in the gospel. Now, now you have this ideal of love. We just talked a lot about it, to, to a sincere love, one that is in the truth of the gospel. But compare it to verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit 
in all hypocrisy or deceit and hypocrisy and envy in all slander. So here's the transition between chapter 2 and chapter 1 is the word so. Very important word, just like we saw in verse 20, uh, something, another. Uh, therefore, verse 20, right? Is it verse 20? Yeah, 13. There you go. Therefore, right? He tells us to put away. He says, put away. So, so, so means you can't have one without the other. Or you can't have one with the other, excuse me. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't love your brothers with a brotherly love, right, that's appropriate to them, and still be putting on these things. That's what the so means. The idea of putting away is, runs throughout the New Testament as well. It means to, means to get rid of. It means to, to put off or to, to take off. The idea, the picture, the little illustration that he's using here, putting away, is, is like taking off dirty clothes that you've been wearing all day after a hard day of work, and all you want to do is get cleaned up and, and put on clean clothes. That's what that, that feeling you get once you, you put those things off and you put these new ones on. That's what he's trying to say. And he says, first, to put away all malice. Well, we don't use that word too much. What does it mean? It means it's, a, it's a, actually a more of a broad word. It's a broad word, general word for, for, uh, for all kinds of evil, for all kinds of hostility toward one another, even the intention to do harm to someone. Malice is not good. How do you get to malice? Hold a grudge long enough and see what it turns into. Don't forgive someone and see what it turns into. Brothers and sisters, think of how malice, ill will toward one another, destroys the unity and the harmony of the body of Christ. He says also to put away all deceit and hypocrisy. All deceit and hypocrisy to, to trick and to misguide, to mistreat, to manipulate for your good at their expense. He says to put away, put away all this, this false display of, of genuineness. Put away the, the, the pretense, the inconsistency between your belief and your practices. Put all of that away. Because the gospel has us living in the light, living in the truth. We're not afraid to come one to one another and tell where our belief and our practices are not lining up. And he says, put these away. Put away that deception of other people and put away the self-deception in your own heart. These destroy trust, don't they? Deceit and hypocrisy destroy trust in a community faith that relies on trust. He says, put away envy, which is the, the gnawing sorrow we feel when someone else has something that we think we deserve. Immanuel Kant said that envy is a wretched vice because it hurts everyone. It torments the subject who envies, and it hopes to destroy the happiness of the one envied. Envy causes us to do what? To start to compare ourselves to one another. And what does it do? It brings about jealousy. 
It invites deceit to, to look at something and to look like something that we are not, to want to be something that we are not, to be someone who God hasn't made us to be. It plants seeds then of malice towards others. Because then all we long for is not for our building up, but for their destruction. Lastly, he says, put away all slander. Which means as to speak evil of someone to bring them harm. Passive aggressively or outright. Brothers and sisters, be careful with your sarcasm. Because sarcasm is slander deceitfully disguised as fun and jokes. Be careful. So all of these, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, what do they represent? They represent sin. And they represent sins toward other people. To do evil against other people. They are sin that does what then? It harms destroys, it wrecks relationships. These sins, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slanders, destroys the community and fellowship within a church. Brothers and sisters, I have, I have not seen the sin of adultery destroy a church, but I have seen these things destroy a church. I don't have to speak about them much more than that because we know that they are the killers of love. You see, if the goal of our salvation, as we talked about earlier, is to love, to love one another, a brotherly love, then, then brothers and sisters, we need to be vigilant that we are putting off, that we are putting off these sins because they are always at the door of our hearts. We are all sinners, and we are going to sin against each other in one way or another. It's inevitable, whether it's on purpose or not on purpose. And when you sin against another sinner, then don't be surprised when a sinner responds with sin. How'd you like that? That's like cat in a hat. And the reason is, is because we all can be deceivers. We all can be hypocrites and vengeful, slanderous. But as he is saying here, if you have been purified by the obedience, the truth to a sincere brotherly love, then how we love each other will be by the same truth by which we've been saved, by giving grace. How you love will be giving grace. To put away sin, to bear with one another, to be quick to forgive one another of sin. As Jesus said, 77 times 7, over and over and over and over again. Let forgiveness and love be your first reaction. And forgiveness, your first action. Not malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander and envy. Be imitators of forgiveness that Christ showed us. Be the initiator of forgiveness and reconciliation. All of the love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13, how it instructs us on how to love one another. You see, verse 22, 
It's telling us that the gospel is the gauge in how we love from a pure heart. A heart that has been made new. A heart that does not require someone to pay a price for us to love them. Agape is sacrificial and giving. Look at verse 23. It says, since you have been born again. not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Now we're starting to dig a hole. We're getting, into, we're getting in some depth now. We're being pointed back, right? We're being pointed back. This is how you love your brothers. This is how you love your sisters, because since you... Right? Remember all the yous we heard before? Since you have been born again. Right? Remember? It's not anything you have done. You are supposed to read this and just be flat out astonished that even you were born again. Since you have been born again. Think of all the reasons why you... And I'll think of all the reasons why I should not have been called. How I should not have been born again. Sin after sin after sin. That's all I bring to the table before Christ. My righteousness is as filthy rags to Him. It achieves nothing before a holy God. And so since you have been given such Grace, you have been in such grace, born again. He says, then love others with the same kind of undeserving grace. That's tough. And that is loving in truth. I have to admit it. This is hard. It's hard to love sometimes. And there are definitely some who are harder to love than others. It's just hard at times. Most of the time, it's actually my own heart. It's my own heart desiring malice. It's my own heart wanting to justify my envy, right? How I have this justification to be upset. But there are some who are just hard to love. But what we see in the gospel is it's not impossible to love them. Because it's been done before. Isn't that exactly, again, what Jesus has done for you? This is what grace is all about. How salvation was applied to you and me. At one time, we were enemies of God. And this is why, as we talked about last week, we set our hope fully on his grace. So yes, as we talked about last week, you will endure the hard times, but also so that you will love each other in the hard times. Have you experienced that sincere, undeserved love? Then let that be how you love. We're being reminded of our new birth being born again. But he says that our new birth was not based upon what? Of a perishable seed, but what is imperishable. 
The perishable seed that he's speaking about is human procreation. The perishable seed is the earthly seed necessary for human life. And he says that human seed perishes. As any seed perishes, that brings life. It it perishes. Even if it does produce life or children, the father and the children will eventually die. Consider the acorn. Acorn falls. Some acorns produce a tree. Some acorns just get crushed under the tires of in our parking lot. But our life in Christ comes from the imperishable seed. The seed that is undying and unfading or undecaying. This seed never grows old. It never loses its strength or its power. Well, what is this seed is he talking about? This seed is the living and abiding word of God. Verse 24. This is God's word. This is the good news that was preached to you, verse 25. This means by which God regenerates his people is by how? The imperishable seed. The imperishable seed of of his word through the preaching of the gospel. So here, Paul's or Peter's theology is matching Paul's theology. Faith comes from hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Similarly, in Galatians 3, the reception of the Spirit is mediated through believing the preached word of God in Galatia, Galatians 3, 2, and 5. Peter uses the word living here because the word does what? It produces life. It produces life. And the word abiding Because the life produced by the word of God, and brothers and sisters, this is very, 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 can I say it one more time? Very important. The word abiding here is used because life that is produced by the imperishable seed, by the word of God, will never cease. Will never cease. Will never die. The imperishable will die, but not the fruit that is produced by the imperishable. In verse 24, Peter illustrates this, the, illustrates for us the imperishable seed of God's word that has brought about our new birth by quoting from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, 6 through 8, he says, For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. In Isaiah 40, the Lord is proclaiming comfort over his people because he will restore them from their exile. The first 39 chapters were speaking about how I'm coming and my wrath is going to be poured out on you. You have been wicked. But here he's now proclaiming comfort over his people that he will restore them from their exile. In verses 3 through 5, This sounds familiar. We hear of the voice that is crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. The voice of Isaiah, though, comes out in verse 6. And he cries out because he doesn't understand. How through such judgment, Lord, would you rescue us? 
How are you going to rescue us from such judgment? But the Lord comforts him in 7 through 8. Peter quotes this. He says, everything else is going to fail. Everything else is going to fail, but not my word. Not my word. My word will never fail. So when he gets to verse 9 in Isaiah 40, he sees the good news for Israel is that God will fulfill his promises and that all the nations of the world, though they seem strong and impossible to resist, the Lord will certainly deliver on his promises by his word to bring them out of exile. The nations, they're grass. They're perishable. They're dying. But the Lord, by his word, it endures. It is living. It remains. In the beginning was the word. And the word dwelt with us. Why? To give us his word. That we would be born anew again from that imperishable word. You see, Israel was flawed sinners. And that family turned into a nation, how? By a perishable seed. My family and me, we are flawed. We are of a seed that is perishable, but brothers and sisters, hear me. God's family, his elect exiles, are born through his imperishable word which means we believe his promises and we proclaim his gospel because it is eternal. This is our family, the church, which is born through an imperishable seed. And as verse 25 says, it is the gospel that was preached over you, that was preached to you. So this, this depth by which we are now to, to love one another and we're, we is, is now to this point where we are born into a family that is characterized by love. Our Father is love. Jesus, who died in our place so that we may live, showed us love and showed us how to love one another. Brothers and sisters, this is how we love one another in truth. We love each other in the gospel as we have been loved and born again in the gospel. It is God's word that shapes us in how we love one another. And there's no other truth or standard or cultural norm that we should ever go by. We do not and we cannot then walk away from each other. Love demands otherwise. We're brothers and sisters. And if that's the case, if this is the love that we have and the love that we've been given through this imperishable seed, then we walk towards one another in sincere gospel love as God did to us in Christ. We love each other with the truth, the truth of his imperishable seed, his word. That is how we love one another. Second, the second way Peter tells us how we are to express love to one another, a brotherly love, is we are to love in longing. We are to love in longing. Now that kind of, that sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? It sounds pretty weird. But I think it'll make sense as we go along. 
Look again at verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander. We, we talked about those already, right? And, and compared, these are, the, these are the killers of love. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. God causes our new birth. How have we seen that? He does it through his imperishable word. Verse 25, he does it through the preaching of his word, of his abiding word. And yet now in verse 2, we see how the same word that will sustain us through exile will also cause us to grow into the salvation as we are looking forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, be like newborn babies. Let me explain that illustration. Like newborn babies who long for pure spiritual milk. When babies get hungry, guess what? They let you know. And like our children, after some training, every three hours they would wake up and they would let you know that it was time to eat. They were hungry. Time for some milk. And if you have twins, they do it in stereo. It's amazing. You should try it. <laughs> so he's not saying to us that Christians should be immature like babies. He's not telling us that you're immature and you should always be like a baby or just to drink milk or you should always drink milk like the, the author of Hebrews tells us to is, is in telling them to stop drinking the milk but to grow up or you still need the milk because you're not growing up. But rather, he's saying as they are maturing, their longing should be maturing with them. Their desire for pure spiritual milk should, should grow as they grow which then should remind you, sounds like the, the newborn baby. So verse 1, we're putting off the sin. Verse 2, we are longing for the only food that will grow us and mature us, the desire for pure spiritual milk. There's a contrast, right? Put these sins off, but now long for these. So if those sins were the, the love killer, then what is the love producer? The pure spiritual milk. The pure spiritual milk. So what is, what is the milk? Well, this milk, it's, it's pure, right? We know what that means. But it's also spiritual. What, what does that mean? Now, this is an interesting, I thought this was an interesting study here, this word. Because the Greek word here used for spiritual, logikon, it, it means rational and it means reasonable. But the ESV always translates it spiritual, and I think it's right. I know your NASAB says reasonable. Romans 12.1 is the only other place where the word is translated. Logicon, your spiritual worship. And SCB says your reasonable form of worship. 
Tom Schreiner says in, in, in this use of this word, he said, so Peter uses the word logatos to define milk so that we will understand that the milk by which Christians grow is nothing other than the word of God. That is the pure spiritual milk. The means by which God sanctifies us is through what? The mind. Through the continued proclamation of God's word. Reason. Reasonableness. Spiritual growth is not primarily mystical, but it is rational. A rationale in the sense that it is informed and sustained by God's word. I don't know if you caught the, that word. The, the root of that is actually word. The word of God. God's word, brothers and sisters, is how we grow and it's God's word in which we should long for like a newborn baby because it engages our reasonableness, our minds. No other creature has the ability to do so. We don't preach to dogs or cats or parrots. And when we go on a safari, but we preach the gospel to those whom God has placed his image upon and given them the ability to reason rationally. And I love verse 3. Verse 3 closes out this section, quoting from Psalm 34. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, meaning, this is really important, if, if you haven't experienced his goodness, then everything we have just said about loving each other brotherly in the gospel is meaningless. And if, if that's the, the, the case this morning, then, then come to Christ repenting of your sin, trusting in him. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, then you will love your brothers sincerely, and earnestly, in Psalm 34, David is praising God for his deliverance from suffering, and he's looking forward to no suffering at all. And isn't this where Peter's hearers are? He's saying, listen, if you've experienced his goodness, if you've tasted that the Lord is, is, is good, I mean, you just think about it, like how God in his infinite wisdom and, and grace and mercy gave all of us, right, if you're able to, the ability to taste, to taste things that are the good, right? It's like that, that first sip of coffee in the morning. You're just like, ah, or a glass of orange juice before you brush your teeth, or a good drink and good wine or whatever it may be that we can just we give God the glory or a good steak. I had a phenomenal steak on Friday. We give God the glory because we tasted. But we say, if you tasted the goodness of God, and if you had, these things are going to make sense to you. Loving your brother is going to make sense to you in these ways because you understand the gospel. You understand he said, if you've tasted it, then, 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 then keep longing. Keep, keep longing for more of God's word. 
Keep tasting. Keep going to the fountain where you can taste it all the time. Keep longing for his word. Keep leaning in. Verse 25, keep leaning into faithful preaching of God's word. Sit under faithful preaching of God's word. Think about it. When a Christian is a part of the body of Christ, when, when, when they remove themselves from leaning into God's word, then guess what they're not doing? They're not longing. And when they're not longing, what happens to that part of the body? Well, if the milk grows and strengthens us, and if it's then neglected and taken away or substituted for Snickers bars, the Snickers bars of the, of, of the world then what does that one-bodied part do? It atrophies. It becomes weak. It becomes susceptible to injury, to sin. And what does that cause the whole body? It causes the whole body pain. And they become tempted to sin against the body of Christ with malice and deceit and slander. Long for the pure spiritual milk. If you Taste it. The Lord is good. I think Psalm 34, 7 says, if you taste it and seen that the Lord is good. So how do we show a sincere brotherly love? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart? Long for God's word. And let God's word, have God's word shape you and mold you. Read it. Study it. Come together with it. Become good and thirsty listeners of the preaching of God's word. And I want you to understand, I mean this primarily in the local church because this is where the word reverberates among us. Every one of y'all this morning, you have heard 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. If you go off and watch a YouTube video, which is fine, it's not, that is not going to reverberate back to everyone else. But everyone else in line with 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, it's going to reverberate among us as we discuss it and talk about it and as it, we long for God's word and as that it changes us and shows us how we are to love one another. To love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the best way on a list of many to love one another, long for God's word. Long for God's word. Long for what is imperishable. Long for what is pure. Long for what engages your reason. And what is spiritual. Like in a family, our love for one another isn't always going to be biblical brotherly love. I get it. It's going to feel more like the brotherly love sometimes of my brothers and I would give to each other. But if our minds and our, are on the gospel and are longing for God's word, then it will shape us. It will change how we view love. And how we love one another. 
love in the truth and love one another in your longing for God's word. Boy, that seems simple, doesn't it? You don't have to overly put a bunch of application points and how you can do it. Sweep each other's porches, wash their car. I don't need all that. Love each other in these ways. And it is a lifelong, ongoing process. But keep pressing and keep loving. We're in it together. Keep loving as Christ loved you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word, and we pray that it would continue to shape us and continue to call us to deeper and greater faith in Christ. It would continue to show us on how to love as we are constantly being reminded of the gospel. Let it shape us and shape our love and continue to give each of us a desire and a longing for, for your word. We love you, we thank you, and we give you all the praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen.